Welcome back to the Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day both in and out of the church via teachings and interviews. My goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying. Today we're going to start on a new series. It's all part of the Mars Hill Project. Everything is under that heading for the entire season. Today we're going to deal with, start to deal with the prayers of the saints, prayers of the saints. The Bible says these things are written for our examples. And so we're going to try to see what we can glean from the intercession and prayers of various people in the Bible. And I know everybody's big on the prayer of Jabez, but if you know, Jabez is not even mentioned in Hebrews 11. Um, some prayers in the Bible, just because they're there, and just because God, even out of his grace and mercy, answered them, does not mean it's something that we should copy. Uh, prayer Jabez is a very selfish prayer. He's talking about enlarging his own borders. Well, good for him. It, it, it did nothing to advance God's kingdom and God's work. And we're going to look at the prayers that were in connection with the kingdom of God in advancing it and uh, expanding what God wants to do on the earth. That's the type of intercession that we need more of in the church. And hear what I'm saying. You can pray for whatever you want to pray for. The Bible says you ask nothing, doubting God will deliver it for you. So I'm not, this is not about disputing that. It's about adding to that and putting things in perspective. And so if you have a need, finances, if you need sickness in your body, uh, if you need to pray for a wayward child or whatever, Certainly, by all means, that should be on your prayer list. Pray and ask God for it, and God can do that. My thing is don't stop there. Don't let the prayer meetings just revolve around you and what you need, but rather let's put a stronger emphasis after we prayed for whatever we need or whatever, which frankly I think should be the last thing. We, uh, that should be the last part of the prayer meeting is getting around to your personal whatever my personal whatever. I do it. I pray for things for myself personally as well and for my children. So that's not criminal. But before we get to that, our Father who art in heaven, first thing hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Kingdom business first. Then we can get down to give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins. We can get to that later. Um, on the personal stuff. But we can and must look at the world and when prayer about effecting God's kingdom and God's work in the earth. And that's beyond my personal whatever. Um, so that's where we want to start. So we're going to look at the intercession of Moses. And it's found in Exodus 32, 33, and 34. Three chapters in Exodus that deal with 
um, the intercession of Moses. I'm not going to read the all three chapters, but in the interest of time. So if you want to read the full story and get the full orb of what is being said, Exodus 32, 33, and 34. I'm not going to cover every detail in there. There's a lot of rich stuff in there. But like I said, I just want to um, hit some of the mountain points, uh, peaks in there. And then um, the show is designed to create conversation, stimulate thought, make us think, maybe rethink some things. So again, it's not even about telling people what to believe per se. It's more about looking at scripture and creating conversation so that as a people, we begin to delve into the word of God. Hopefully I can pique your interest, get you focused on the word of God and, and reading it for yourself and praying and asking God to help you understand uh, what God, who is the author, meant when he wrote it. Not so much what it means to us, but God, what did you mean? What was the point of writing this? What is, what, is there any lessons that I can learn from here? And so that's where we want to go. And that's what we'll, we will be doing uh, today. So, without any further ado, um, we're going to look at some scripture here. At first, here in Exodus and then we're going to go from there and start talking about what God wants to see done in the earth. And we're going to connect all those dots. So if you first, if you would please, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32, I'm going to read the 7th to the 14th verse. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, 
and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Amen. So that's Exodus 32, 7 to 14. The first part of the intercession is God sees the backsliding of Israel and he tells Moses, I'm going to kill him. So number one, I need you to leave so I can kill them. So like my aunt, I can get mad enough. And this gives us a window into intercession that God actively chooses to let us participate in kingdom building. And that's by choice because if God sovereignly wants to do something, he can do it. But I think he's teaching us here about participation. And in one scripture in Isaiah, he said, I saw it for a man to stand in the gap and to build up the head so that I wouldn't destroy the land. So intercessors, by the way, if you're an intercessor, if you say that you're an inter you do intercession, then that would mean that you stand in the gap between heaven and hell, life and death. Uh, to intercede on behalf of individuals who are hellbound for God to have mercy upon them. That's one of the first duties of the intercessor, is to be an advocate, to ask God for mercy for, for someone or some group of people who are doing the wrong things, and to stay the hand of God. Okay, so God allows us to participate in that. Again, by choice. So he says, as long as you're standing here interceding, Moses, I can't get hot enough to kill him. So why don't you just step aside here and I'll handle this. And oh, by the way, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll kill them all then and we'll start over with you. Well, you know, some people who are power hungry and power mad um, would love that kind of an offer. But I think Moses understood something. It doesn't matter. You start over with me and then my offspring, who knows what they're going to do, right? So it doesn't really matter anyway. But Moses being a humble man, which the Bible says he was the most humble man in the earth. And because of his humility, he begins to implore God not to destroy the people. And what does he appeal to? He appeals to the Abrahamic covenant. And remember I told you before in, in, in one of the episodes that God created covenants to keep himself from wiping people out off the face of the earth, or from, and in this case, to keep from destroying Israel. And so Moses goes back to the covenant, and he appeals to God's glory. So Moses is not concerned about himself. This is not a selfish prayer. Me, me, me. It's not that type of prayer. This is a prayer... Where, Moses, where he's concerned about God's name and God's covenant. He says, well, number one, you can't, you know, you made a covenant with Abraham that you were going to do this. Um, and also, um, what about your glory? Your enemies are going to have an excuse to say, well, look, see, he couldn't do what he said he was going to do. So Moses at this point is praying and interceding and he's defending the glory of God. How about that? And so, as believers, we are to be people who pray and intercede on behalf of God. Now, let's move on down here to uh, 
verse 30 to 35. Let's see what that says. Same chapter. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Amen. So again, Moses interceding for the people. Now look at this. Not only did Moses turn down an opportunity to become the head of the nation, as opposed to Abraham, but now he's offering himself. He's saying, blot me out of the book of life. Take my name out of there. If that's the case, I'll let me be the one to suffer, but get the people into the land. And God tells him, well, the soul that sins in so many words, that's the one that's going to die. I'm not going to blot you out, Moses. God says, no, we're not doing that either. Which tells you that because you're interceding doesn't mean God has to do everything you ask him for. He, he can do it or not do it. And then God says, I'm going to visit, I'm going to, we're going to visit this iniquity on these people. And of course, if you know the story, God did visit their sin upon them because they all died in the wilderness. Not one of them in that generation got into the land of promise. God let them all die off except for Joshua and Caleb. But everybody else died off and did not get to cross over. So God did revisit their, their sin upon them. But just to let them know as a reminder he sent a plague upon the people. And then this is one with the where he makes the... Uh, and so God sends a plague upon the people. But he doesn't destroy them. And that's because of the intercession of Moses. And again, we're looking at intercession here. Prayers of the saints. And we're taking a good look at... Uh, how he interceded. The other thing that I want to bring out in that set of verses that we read, God God wanted to just send an angel. He said, I'll send an angel with you, but I'm not coming with you because if I, if I don't send an angel, I'm going to have to kill these people. You know, So I'll just send an angel and I'll hang back. And Moses did not settle for an angel. He said, if you don't go up with us, we need your presence. We don't need an angel. We don't need... The, the B team, we want the A team, which is God himself going up with them. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. 
and he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for men shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Amen. There's two things in that prayer that I want to bring out. One is, again, the presence of God. Moses intercedes and says, what will distinguish us from other people on the earth? Moses would not settle for an angel or the B team or whoever else. He said, I want God himself to go with us because that was what will distinguish us from other peoples on the earth. And that's what distinguishes the believer from other people on the earth is that we have the presence of God with us. I don't know if as a Christian you've ever been somewhere and people look at you or they'll say something to you like there's something about you they can't put their finger on it but they say something different about this guy or something attractive about you or something that disturbs the uh the evil that's in the room sometimes when you walk in um not just you picking up vibes but they pick up vibes from you in the sense that the presence of god is with us they don't sin doesn't know what to call it or what to say it is but we know what it is it's the presence of god and we want to be in that place with God in prayer where we have God's presence with us because that's the most valuable thing. If God's not going with you, if he's not going to be present in what we do when we go to work or whatever, then, you know, um, you shouldn't go. You shouldn't do it. You always want God's presence with you. And you want to be such and so in tune with God that you recognize God's presence that you, you can sense it when it's not there. You don't want to be like Samson who said, I will shake myself as at other times, but he didn't know the Holy Ghost had departed from him. So you don't want to get to that point. You want to get to the place where you sense God's presence, and when God's presence is not there, then you know, oh, don't go over there. Don't do this. I don't, you know, okay, Lord, where's your presence? And I'm not saying that we have to walk around and feel God's presence for every little thing, but... When it comes to something major, kingdom building, etc., uh, certainly uh, we want to be aware of God's presence and we want God to go with us. The second thing is he asks God to see his glory. Show me now your glory. And that's a really heavy intercession going on here. He wants to see God's glory. 
everything we do as believers should be to the honor and the glory of God. When we pray, we pray for God's glory. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus said in the 17th chapter of John, uh, glorify the Son that the Son may now glorify you. Um, Jesus constantly would say over and over again to Martha, you know, didn't I say to you that you would see the glory of God? You know, and even to Pontius Pilate, you know, he said, you'll see the, 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 the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That you're going to see the glory of God. So, Christ was all about the glory of God and we should be all about God's glory. In this case, though, Moses is asking to see it. He wants to see the glory of God. Now, I know in a lot of churches now they have these things called fire tunnels from this Brownsville revivals. Um, you know, where people are coming through these fire tunnels and sensing the glory of God. And they were shaking and, you know, there was smoke. And in fact, now some churches just have smoke machines and try and tell you that it's the glory of God. And nice production, great for a stage play. I'd love to see them do those kinds of things in a stage play with the pyrotechnics and the and the you know the whole nine i i get it it's it, it adds to the drama but that is not smoke machines and pyrotechnics is not the glory of god okay it's just a stage play don't get caught up with it and, and get a liver shiver over that because that's all it is it's not really happening but Moses here says, I want to see God's glory. And we're going to take a look in here and see what, see what glory God showed him. And it's going to be quite interesting. Because remember now, Moses already, you know, seen him come down the tent of meeting. They've seen the fire. They've seen his feet standing on the mountain. The mountains melting. And, you know, the lightnings and the thunder. They've seen all the lightning flashes and all of that. And yet... If that was the glory of God, then Moses is asking a silly question here. Why do you want to see my glory? Didn't you see me come down here in the cloud, the lightning and thundering, and you saw my feet here, burnished bronze, standing on the earth? And didn't we eat a meal with the, the first Sanhedrin with the, um, you know, later on you'll see that in numbers, they'll sit down, they'll eat a dinner, uh, almost like a communion type thing, um, which includes both two of Aaron's sons, which eventually they did something they weren't supposed to do and got killed. But it's very important to, to ask the question, well, if you've seen all that glory, why didn't you see it already? What else is there left to see? Ah, we're going to take a look at that. descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, 
If now I have found favour in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Amen. Wow. Did, 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 you, did you catch that? Did you catch that? The glory of God. Now here it is. God tells you what his glory is. This is what Moses didn't see in the lightning and the thundering and, and coming, all that smoke and whatever, with all that appearance of Christ where there was a cloud, pillar of cloud, there's a cloud in the daytime and, and a pillar of fire at night when he, you know, um, none of that was the glory of God. Now he wants to see God's glory. So God says, all right, I'll show you what the real glory of God is. And he tells you what it is. You don't have to guess. I like the Bible because you really don't have to guess. There's nothing to figure out here. It, it, it explains itself. Uh, when we start here, and that was 34 verses uh, 5 to the end of the chapter. Okay, now l listen to this. The Lord descended in the cloud. Verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord God. Now here's the glory of God. This is the glory of God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Okay, so there's merciful part of God. And then now he goes to his justice, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he's both just, justifier and forgiver. That's his glory. And that's what the whole Bible is about. It's God who is just, who has to deal with iniquity and deal with judging sin. But at the same time, a God who desires to be gracious and merciful. And you see those two things come together in Christ. I believe it's in Psalms 85 when it talks about, will you not revive us again? You can read the chapter. And I'm deliberately giving you some scriptures that you might want to read on your own. Because I want to get you, to, to get you into the word yourself. So we're looking at this, and in our Psalms 85, it says, righteousness and justice have kissed. See, it, 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 I mean, mercy and justice have kissed. In other words, on the one hand, the dilemma was, I got to be just here, and I have to judge sin, which, and all have sinned, so we're all under the judgment of God, the wrath of God. But in order to stay the wrath of God in Christ, he's able to, pay the debt that we owed, that we couldn't pay off, and then have mercy upon us at the same time. So God solved that problem. That's the glory of God. So when you look at Christ and his sacrifice, and we remember that, that's God's glory. That's where God is honored and glorified as a just and a true God, one who is merciful, who's compassionate, because he, and, but he's also just at the same time. And so we get a glimpse of it here in Exodus. Just a glimpse. But that's the glory of God. It's not smoke machines. It's not lightning and thunder. It's not making the earth quake and rumble and melting mountains and lightning bolts flashing all over the place. The glory of God is in his character, who he is. 
goodness, mercy, loving kindness, forgiving iniquity, but also just at the same time. That's his glory. He's the only one who could have pulled that off, those two things at exactly the same time. Now look what Moses does here. And Moses worshipped. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And that's when we see God's glory, when we understand what he's done. That was a natural, once, once Moses saw what he saw and understood what he understood, I don't think it was more, I think it was more of an understanding than a seeing. That once he understood the character and the nature of God, what he was really like, it says, and Mo Moses worshipped. How much of our worship is a natural outflow of understanding who God is and what he has done for us? And this is why we should continue to be looking. I know it gets redundant, but that's why we need to consistently, consistently look at the, at, the, at the atonement and what Christ has done for us, what he's delivered us from. And such were some of you. But now you're washed, you're cleansed, you're purified. And that should evoke a worship out of us, a natural response. See that? Nobody's forcing it out of Moses. He just, once he understands, then he, the worship comes up. And so we need to meditate on these things until we, we bow ourselves to the ground and we, we worship. If, 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 if your Bible study doesn't lead you to worship, then maybe you're studying it wrong. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd take another look at how I'm approaching this thing. Because if you're really doing scriptural reading and understanding the scriptures, it's going to evoke a, a worship out of you, a praise that's going to come out of you. And then, once again, he asked God to go up with them. And then, in the next few verses, he renews the covenant with them, runs down the Ten Commandments for the second time, gives it to them again. The first time was in chapter 20, where he gives them the Ten Commandments. And after he breaks it down for them. And then God says, I will go with them. But this time he puts a little some conditions on it. And in terms of the Ten Commandments. So this is the intercession of Moses. This is our first look. And I know some of these some of these podcasts are gonna be a little shorter. It's all good. But I, I'm trying to get more to the point and not leave you hanging. This is the intercession of Moses. Show me now your way that I may know thee. And that's the last thing I'll mention about it. He wanted to know the ways of God in 30, back in 33. He says, show me now your ways that I may know thee. And he, do you pray to know the ways of God, to know God? Jesus said in John the 17th chapter, this is eternal life, to know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom, whom you have sent. So how well do you know God? How intimate are you with God? On what level? Moses was so intimate with God. He said, I talk to Moses face to face as I would to another, like you would to another human being. Think about that. Now, God told Aaron and, 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 and Miriam, yeah, you guys are prophets and prophetess. I, I, I get it. But I speak to you in dreams and visions. But Moses, you know, he comes to my house. We just sit down and, and we kick it. Eyeball to eyeball, God to man, man to God. 
direct. No vision, no nothing. Just straight up talking. Like two friends walking down the street, having a conversation. God does not do that for everybody, people. In fact, God hadn't done it for anybody else, period. Until he became man and walked on the earth as Christ. That's the only time. And the only other prophet, person who had that depth of relationship that Moses had with God, is only two people. One of them is Abraham. Abraham, we'll look at his intercession where he's walking and he's talking with God, with the angel of the Lord, also face-to-face, man-to-man. But later on, the only other person is Christ himself. That's why in the sixth chapter of John, when they said to Jesus, they said, wait a minute now. We're about to make you king here, but the prophecy is that the next person, the Messiah would be somebody either like Moses or greater than Moses. So Moses gave us bread from heaven. Let's see you beat that. And if you can beat that and show us something either equal to or better than Moses, then we'll make you king. And of course, you know the story of Jesus he doesn't really need them to make him king because he's already king and he's already going to take the world anyway. So he thins the herd. And he, he tells them, he said, well, first of all, you know, your comparison of me to Moses is, is moot because I'm actually greater than Moses. But all right. Moses, your father's eight man in the wilderness. Where are they now? Oh, wait, they're all dead. But the bread I'm going to give you, you'll never die. You'll have life eternal. See, so that he already made his distinction right there. But that's for another uh, podcast. So we need to know the ways of God. We need the presence of God. And the bottom line, the bottom line of all these prayers, the bottom line, in every segment of the scriptures that I just read to you, is the word, if I have found favor, if I have found favor, Favor and gracious, favor and gracious. The word favor is the exact same word as grace. What does the Bible say? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. Moses understood. He saw the commandments. He saw how the people were behaving. And he realized, you know what? It doesn't matter how many commandments we give them. They're going to mess it up. So you know what we need to do? We need grace. We need mercy. And so Moses constantly asks God for favor, which means he's asking God for grace. And that's how the Christian relates to God. We relate to him by grace, not by laws and rules and regulations, not a whole bunch of thou shalt nots. Good luck with that because we're going to screw that up. Promise you. Right? There's no such thing as sinless perfection in this life. And that's not an excuse to go sin. The soul that sins, it will die. So we, the Christian does not willfully, habitually sin. We don't do that. But we do sin sometimes. We do say the wrong thing. We do think the wrong things sometimes. And constantly have to ask God for forgiveness and for cleansing to get better. That's part of the sanctification process. God knows we need to grow. But what I am saying is that I don't worry about rules and regulations so much per se as I do about relating to God on on the basis of grace. I come to him in prayer. Nothing in my hands. I bring something to the cross. I cling. Ba- solely based 
on what on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way I can communicate. I can communicate with God. If I come any other way, you're just talking to dead air. That's all you're doing. So God bless you, and hope you've been enlightened on some issues. Thanks for listening into the podcast. If you want to comment, you can reach me at rhyd12001 at gmail.com. And I can be reached there for any comments, questions that you, that you may have. Also, I'd like to recommend some of my other past podcasts that I think may be very helpful for you. Some I like better than others. At the beginning of the season, I was able to interview uh, two individuals who are very godly. One is Val Eliason, and she was a missionary extraordinaire. So if you haven't heard that interview of that podcast yet, you can you can look it up and you can go back there. And hear what wonderful things they she had to say about being a missionary because that's part of the Mars Hill project, is reaching out and carrying the gospel out to the ends of the earth. Um, the other one is a young lady, Lael Divine, who I interviewed, and she was young, Christian, black, and pregnant. And the process of how God, God takes our, and that's is everybody, God takes our failings and he adds grace to them. He redeems them. And thank God for the Redeemer. And so that's also one of the other ones that you may want to listen to as well. God bless you. And thanks for listening in. Thank you.